Hi, welcome to Claybrook Chats with Barb. As we sit here in Claybrook and chat, I will introduce you to some of my creative and interesting friends who live in a small community in Northeastern Ohio. Hopefully as we chat, you'll learn something new or educational, maybe humorous, but always positive. My goal is to have you pause at the end and say, wow, I didn't know that. And just maybe you will tell some of your friends and family about it and come back and listen to my next Claybrook chat. Talk to you later. Bye. We have all heard the jewelry store advertisement, diamonds are forever. That thought came to me when I talked to Ellen Reddick, a funeral director for the Van Dyke Sweeney Reddick Funeral Homes here in East Palestine. Diamonds are forever, but unfortunately, we are not. Sooner or later, we all need to make those final arrangements. So I invited Ellen to stop over and have a chat with me about why we should be responsible and do it now and what is involved. And it's not really as painful as you really expect it to be. So hi, Ellen. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks, Barb. I really appreciate being invited here today. Well, good. So why don't we get this started by you telling us a little bit about your funeral home and all of its names. That's They're for all sure. hyphenated. Yes, yes. So most people will probably refer to our funeral home as Van Dykes. It's always been Van Dykes. So we can trace our history back to about 1919 when it was the Moore and Van Dyke. About 1923, F.H. Van Dyke purchased all of the funeral home assets and operated in a building in about the 100 block of Martin's, West Martin Street. So it was just in a building because back then most of the funerals were in the homes. After he died in 1936, his wife Martha became the owner and moved the operations to the current location at 60 West Martin Street. It was then the Van Dyke Memorial Home. She was assisted by two of her nephews, Glenn Sweeney and Sam Houston. And I'm sure a lot of people in town still remember a lot of the Sweeney girls. Yes, I do. Yes, I went to went school with yes. Catherine. Exactly. Yes. Glenn and Eudora assumed ownership in the late 60s. And when Glenn died in 79, John Comer and John Reddick joined her a little bit later in time in about 1986 to help her with the operations of the funeral home. In 1998, we incorporated into Family Care Services, which includes all of these names, Van Dyke Sweeney Reddick <laughs> Funeral Home, Warwick Comer Reddick Funeral Home in Columbiana, and the Woods Reddick Funeral Home in Letonia. You don't have to say all those when you answer the phone, do you? No. Actually, we answer <laughs> our phones individually, each still three separate funeral oh. homes. So we have three separate lines for each of our funeral homes. <laughs> yes. We would like to just say funeral home, but no, we still like our, our identity <laughs> as each individual funeral home. So in 2014, we added our own crematory. And at that time, we were the only one in Columbiana County. So we're very proud that we have our own crematory. Um, and now there is another one in Salem. But um, up until a couple of years, uh, maybe about a year, year and a half ago, we were the only ones here in Columbiana County. So in the, then where did they have to go? So funeral homes, even if they had cremation in their, their name or 
all funeral homes will offer that service, they use a third party, mm -hmm. uh, another a crematory, a freestanding crematory, or another funeral home that had a crematory. There's a couple in Youngstown. Lake Park was the one back in the day that had the only one, and then more and more funeral homes are putting in their own crematory. Mm -hmm. uh, we used the one at uh, Western Reserve Crematory for years before we put in our own. Since most of our families, a lot of our families were choosing cremation, we wanted to be able to have them taken into our care and not leave our care. And that was important to us. So we decided it was important to invest in our own. That's a nice service to know about them. We currently have one funeral director, myself, we have three funeral director embalmers, which would be John Reddick Sr., Jared Kane, and Alex Babel. And we have three crematory operators, that again being John Reddick Sr., Jared Kane, and Alex Babel. So again, we're located in East Palestine, Columbiana. That's where our crematory is as well. And Letonia. When you wanted to know what our hours are, we feel that we are 24-7. <laughs> no, when you come to our door here in East Palestine, you might not always get a person, but there's a sign on the door for a phone number, call. It's answered in our Columbiana location, um, and we can help you with whatever you need. Um, and we're, whatever, we're at whatever location we need to be, depending on what's going on. So don't ever hesitate to call just because you can't find somebody in the building. Um, we're, we pride ourselves in trying to streamline our employees and our um, office situation to keep things manageable for the small staff that we have. Wonderful. Thus, we have a central location in Columbia. We still meet families in East Palestine. We still have a full selection room here for caskets. So mm -hmm. just give us a call. Very good. Um, when we're done, I'll have you give them the phone number. Okay. Put the phone number out there. So and our website. Yeah. Um, so the purpose of us to getting together today was to talk about why we should make our arrangements ahead of time. So tell me, what does it take? Why is it important? Um, what do I need to decide if I come to see you about that? What kind of questions are you going to ask me? Um, just generally walk me through what would happen and what happens if I don't. And there are some people that say, I want to talk about this. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let my family decide. Mm -hmm. And the advantages and disadvantages of, of a person that doesn't want to do it. Okay. So when you invited me to do this chat, I had a conversation with my husband and I said, you know, I don't, when did prearrangement become common? You know, back in the day, you person waited till they passed and their family took care of things and that's just the way it was mm -hmm. and we talked back and forth a little bit and he said probably starting in the 80s you can see the onset of of some of the idea of prearranging maybe pushed by medicaid in that needing to spend down assets but still being kind enough to remember you need to save some of your assets for your final arrangements um so that was good. Also, uh, back in the 60s, everybody remembers Jessica Mitford, who uh, pretty much had an expose on how terrible funeral homes can be and um, the excessiveness of them and um, 
the sentimentality of them and is it really necessary, which kind of pushed society into thinking about it and scrutinizing the whole funeral industry. And of course, we're always struggling to make ourselves out to be nice people, not the big bad wolf. <laughs> well, um, you are. Yes. <laughs> nice people are the big bad nice wolf. Nice people. Okay, thank you. Um, so in saying that, I think just educating society and knowing what their options are or what they can do or people wanting to make their own decisions for themselves or just getting the information. Mm -hmm. um, the FTC rule makes us have all kinds of things out there for the consumer and it's all good. I mean, we have nothing to hide. We want you to be informed. It, it is a big decision. It is can be in a substantial amount of money. Mm -hmm. Um, like other life events, a wedding, a graduation, an engagement party, a vacation, the purchase of a home. Um, unfortunately, most people don't want to do it for a funeral. Right. It's kind I of like going to that. Yeah. Kind of like going for a root canal. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think as as time goes on and society changes, our family traditions have changed. Uh, we find out that there are more options out there. Uh, the consumer wants to be more educated as to why do I have to do this? I want to do this. And, and it's all good. You're right. You have options. And that's what we're here to offer. I feel that we've stayed very progressive and very um, open to new ways of doing things, um, meeting people for what they want, where they want. Again, we put in a crematory. When a lot of our clients are asking for that, it made sense to put in our own crematory. Yes, so we could serve you in that capacity. So why should you do it? Again, people do it for a lot of reasons. They just want the information. Uh, they want to know what they're going to have to tell you or not tell you. They want to know how much it costs. Or maybe um, they're doing it for themselves. Maybe they're doing it for parents. Uh, another thing is maybe they need to spend down their assets to qualify for Medicaid, in which case, again, Oftentimes they're told to, you know, look into making some sort of final arrangements. Yeah, I know when I had my mother into a nursing home, they asked me that. Mm -hmm. They always mm -hmm. ask you, have you made yes. those arrangements? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. And kind of when we get together, um, my agenda is always uh, letting the person know these are this is what's going to happen. So I'm going to be taking lots of, well, first, I'm going to disclose all of the things I'm required by law to disclose, that being our general price list. Uh, making sure there's a casket price list, an outer enclosure price list available. Um, again, consumer protection, and we're all about that. Um, our cremation options. We've, there's a lot of things you can do within the cremation type of service. Um, so I disclose all of that, then tell you that I'll be taking biographical and statistical information. You'd be surprised at how many people don't know their mother's maiden name or don't know their dad's mother's maiden name, um, you know, where they were born, city and state. Were they in the service? Do you have a copy of the DD-214 for the veterans for an honorable discharge um, so that we can help them with those things? Um, siblings names, meaning if you're doing it for a parent, their, their brothers and sisters names, their spouses names, where they live. Again, there's quite a bit that is required on a death certificate, parents names, the informant or who we're getting the information from, the correct spellings, you know, if there's an AKA, it has to match up with their social security number. 
All of our information is fed into a computer program called EDRS, Electronic Death Certificate Record System. <laughs> <clears throat> so again, that goes into a state system. And if things don't match or if something's left blank, it doesn't go through. Um, level of education, whether they completed high school, whether they had a GED, whether they have a diploma, whether they had college, none of that shows up anywhere. Sometimes people are embarrassed and say, oh gosh, dad didn't even graduate from high school. It's not a big deal to us. It's just statistical information on the death certificate, but it is required. So again, a lot of that information that we need to have and have correct. A death certificate is a legal document. So it's important that the information is correct. And you process the death certificate? Yes. Oh, I thought that came from the hospital or someplace. No, no. it's our responsibility as a funeral director. We're the ones that fill it in. We're the ones that submit it to the physician for his signature. Okay. Some of it. See, gee, I didn't, gee, know, I didn't that. know that. <laughs> We're the ones who usually find out the date of death and the time of death. You know, oftentimes uh, with hospitalists, they have a lot of patients in the hospital. If somebody is with hospice, again, maybe they'll go back to their own doctor for signing the death certificate. Maybe the director of the hospice facility will be signing that. But they pretty much rely on us to get that information. Um, we, we get a lot of that information when we take what we call a first call. So when the hospital calls us, we ask them, we ask them quite a bit of information. We're kind of nosy people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, name, social security name, number we can't always get, but definitely the date of death and the time of death and the doctor who's supposed to be signing the death certificate. And then it's our responsibility to follow up with that. And that's why you ask how many copies of the death certificate do you need? I remember that part. Right, yeah. right. Okay. So what happens if you get somebody that... Um, <clears throat> passed away and they didn't make the arrangements okay. and you you had mentioned to me one time about six members of the family and yeah. again when we get the call <clears throat> excuse me when we get the call from either a hospital or a facility or someone at home that, to tell us that you know they would like to have us help them um we've asked you know who the who is going to be taking care of things is there a spouse if there's no spouse, are there any, you know, children, you know, what is our, who is our contact person and name and a number. So that's kind of our jumping off spot. And then I think what you're referring to, as I said, one of the important things that we do during the arrangements is a claim of authority as to who has the right to say what is to happen. So in our, uh, in the Ohio revised code, there is a certain order as to who has the right to do that. If that person did make their pre-arrangements and they appointed a representative and we had that in our records and it's notarized or either notarized, I'm sorry, or witnessed by two non-related people and it might be their neighbor, then that's the person that we're going to be working with. That's the person the person wanted to take care of their funeral arrangements. They might not necessarily going to be paying for it but they have the right to say what's to happen to that person. If that document isn't executed, it goes to a spouse. If there is no spouse, it goes to a child or children. So if there's only one child, it, it would fall to that person. That's easy. <laughs> if they have six children 
all of the children have a say, have a right to say what is to be done. Oh my goodness. So typically one person steps up or one person's been taking care of mom or they'll say, I've got to talk to my family and you know, we're good at being patient. So um, whether they all come in for arrangements or just two of them, you know, we, we work within that, but they know when they're signing either a crematory authorization or um, the claim of authority that they are acting on behalf of all of them and that a majority agree. I can imagine that could get really messy with all the blended families we have. Absolutely. Um, children, stepchildren, his mm-hmm. children, her children. Yeah. Or yeah. children we can't find. Yeah. Or, yes. That would be very... It, it can be, it can be interesting. Which uh, is... Second marriages, again, blended families, you know, the, the children want one thing and the, the current spouse wants something else. And um, it is. So typically on prearrangements, we talk about that document and some instances it, it it's doesn't matter it's really not needed but again information is yeah good i can see so, some bad scenarios mm-hmm. there it is also one document that a power of attorney cannot fill out for the person so let's say you know your mom has dementia too late um mm-hmm. person has to be of sound mind to execute that document and if they can't do it it's probably too late in which case we have to go on down the the list. Hmm. Wow. There's a lot to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you already mentioned that you have a price list that you share with everybody. Yes. Everybody does that. So that if you want to go shopping, you can, but you know, they should, they should look around. They're required to have it available to you. Mm-hmm. If you know enough to ask for it, that's a good idea. They should be offering it. Maybe not the casket list and the vault list, but definitely the general price list. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are so many disclosures and certain wording that needs to be in the general price list. They're not all that easy to understand, although we're supposed to be designing them to be consumer friendly. We work really hard at that, but it's kind of a balancing act. Um, so I encourage people, whether I'm taking a phone call and I've offered to mail it to them, they say, yeah, go ahead, mail it or email it to me. I always tell them, please, once you get it and look it over, give me a call mm-hmm. so that I can explain exactly if you have any questions. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So. so again, so I've taken a bunch of information. I've gone over the disclosures. I've taken a bunch of information. Then I like to have the conversation. So what are you thinking about? You know, have you ever thought what you would want? A lot of people have some point of reference. Well, I was just at so-and-so service and I really like that. Well, mom did this for dad. So that's what I want to do. So again, to try and get an idea if you're looking for a casketed burial with a visitation and a procession to the cemetery, or are you thinking of a direct cremation or an immediate burial? Um, There's such a wide variety of things, but I try to be quiet which is hard for me sometimes and just have, let them talk and have the conversation of what are you thinking about? Mm -hmm. Tell me. And then from there we can work up what it would actually cost in current times. And then all of the other things that are involved, are they looking to do it because they have to qualify for Medicaid? Are they wanting to um, use existing life insurance to do that? Uh, Guaranteed versus non-guaranteed. 
again, there's a lot of different ways to actually pre-fund it then. So let me kind of jump off onto that tangent. Okay. Um, Ohio probably has some of the most stringent um, consumer protections for their pre-need. So in saying that, it's important that you um, are knowing what you're signing, guaranteed versus guaranteed. We're required to report pre-need a certain way. You can't just come in and say, well, here's my life insurance policy. When I die, you take that and take care of everything. So they can't write it out themselves. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Again, it gets into ownership and beneficiary and... Um, whether we're guaranteeing it then or not guaranteeing. Mm -hmm. So the funeral home, even though the state regulates what we do with pre-need, each funeral home is allowed to choose how they wish to fund their pre-needs. Some do a combination of what we call burial insurance. At one time, we had a um, some of our staff had a limited li insurance license to sell insurance specifically for burial insurance, not life insurance. Or um, they could use a um, trust product. We choose to use a trust product. It's uh, administered by the Ohio Funeral Directors Master Trust. Um, it just is a good product for us. It gives us good returns and, and it is invested in a way with a lot of oversight that works best for us. So again, each funeral home though has different products that they will use for their pre-need. Again, typically for Medicaid, people will say, I have this $10,000 life insurance policy and it has a cash value over and above what I'm allowed to have for Medicaid. So we become the owners and the beneficiaries of that policy. Again, a lot of paperwork from the insurance company to the current owner to sign to make us the owner and then the beneficiary. So it's, wow. excuse me, out of their per that person's name. Yeah. So it's no longer considered an asset for them. That's all we're doing. We're holding that. But the state also then requires us to match, um, to marry it to a contract. Mm -hmm. So we can't just hold that money. We have to say that insurance policy is going to go for these statement mm -hmm. of goods and services. Okay. Uh, what about if they make the arrangements here and then they move to Florida or mm -hmm. they move to Texas or something like that? Pre-needs are also very portable. So you should be able to contact your funeral director wherever the funeral um, was prearranged and tell them, hey, I'm going to be moving to Florida. I have no desire to have my funeral back here in Ohio. And so I'm going to be living here. Can XYZ Funeral Home yeah. take my pre-need? And we work that out. Yes. So you're Which, not going to send a truck down and pick them up. <laughs> well, <laughs> in saying that, I will say the other thing we tell people, oftentimes we have a lot of snowbirds in our area. They go to Florida. Let's say they do pass and we do have the funeral, um, the funeral prearrangement. We try to stress to the family, call us first. So don't make anybody in Florida press you to call them. Even if you're in a hospital, well, you have to call somebody local. No, we'll take care of that on your behalf, especially if it's prearranged. And even if it isn't prearranged, if you are going to have the majority of the services in Ohio, then you call us first. If you're going to have services both, again, if we have a prearrangement, I would call us first and then we could figure out what's going to be best for you. If 
not, you know, maybe you will have to involve a funeral home down there, but anyone traveling, let's say you take a road trip every winter, um, anytime we hand out little wallet cards that in case of a death, please contact Warwickhammer Reddick or Van Dyke Swaney Reddick, wherever the pre-need is. Again, that's way we can control those uh, costs and you're not in involving another funeral home when it's not necessary. Very good. I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> Another. Oh, yeah. Gee. So always call the funeral home where you're going to have the majority of the services and they should be able to help you and, and control that. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, let's see. Okay. So then we could, uh, again, write up what it is that you're going to do. If we do a trust, um, trust products for us are guaranteed. So that's an advantage of making a pre-need with us using a trust product in that you are guaranteeing our casket and services or our cremation, our services and merchandise. And so if you don't need it for another 20 years, unfortunately, I can say for all certainty that our prices will go up um, just because life goes up. Um, but you won't be responsible for any of that increase. Mm -hmm. Things we don't guarantee on our contracts are what we call cash advanced items or items due to other people. Things that we don't have any control over, a cemetery charge mm -hmm. or the flowers or newspaper notices mm -hmm. or hairdresser or certified copies of the death certificate. Um, so we could include that and it makes up the big picture, but they're not specifically our charges. So oftentimes people think, oh, funerals are so expensive. And they are. I'm not denying that. But our casket and service is part of it. And then there's a lot of other things that make up the big picture that aren't specifically our charges. Yes. And that makes sense mm -hmm. whenever you think mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is to your advantage to sit down and have that talk. Yes. So again, a trust can guarantee a lot of the things. Certain insurances can guarantee it too. I'm not an insurance licensed person. I don't, I, I couldn't tell you how other funeral homes do it because I just know how we do it. And that specifically is, you know, the guarantee. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so you got me on two G. I didn't know that already. Yes. And you said, what would happen if somebody doesn't have their prearrangement? Obviously a lot of people don't have their prearrangements and that's okay. I mean, we still then will serve them. And well, it just puts a lot more pressure on the mm -hmm. family. It if, does. Especially if it's an unexpected death. And uh, that is usually when yeah. there are no prearrangements, mm -hmm. the unexpected death, um, or a young person. Um, another reason to do it, um, it, so you at least have an idea, is to put your wishes down only if it's just that. You don't even have to pre-fund it, just... Mm -hmm put your wishes down. Like I do want to be cremated. I want to be buried here or scatter me mm -hmm. in my favorite vacation spot yeah. or, or at least um, tell a child or somebody, mm -hmm. you know, if something happens to me, this is what I want. Sure. Even though, so at least they, they're not sitting there going, well, I don't know what they wanted. <laughs> so. yes. And you, it's a real cliche and I still use it because I can't help it because I kind of, I, I do believe it. Funerals are for the living, you know, it's important to honor their wishes, but I really don't know of anybody that has come back and haunted anybody because they <laughs> haven't. I think sometimes 
people do a disservice to their families, not letting them have an opportunity to experience making funeral arrangements and also then giving them the opportunity to memorialize you as they wish. You're not going to be here. Um, it gives the family closure too. It's like the end. The, I guess. They're, they're never going to not remember you. Um, when you say closure, it basically gives you the time and the opportunity to deal with your feelings and be together as a family or not. Um, and again, I think everyone is important to somebody, be it the caregiver at the nursing home that you've been there for six months and they've taken care of you every day. So um, when someone comes in and says, uh, just like one person, and they're doing this for themselves, I always reiterate, you need to have the conversation with your family that you've done this. And um, usually they say, I went to the funeral home and it's all taken care of. And because people are uncomfortable talking about it, that's usually the end of the they conversation. Go, okay. Thank you. Good. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's important sometimes to take into consideration your family's feelings on what they will want to do at the time. Okay, so why don't you tell me a little bit about how you decided to become a funeral director and what it takes to uh, follow that career path? So for me, uh, I would be considered a second career funeral director. I uh, was going to school to become a medical technologist, which I completed. I got married and my husband was a funeral director and he had already purchased his own funeral home at a very young age. Um, in Letonia, Ohio. So that was Woods and Son Funeral Home, next to be Woods Reddick Funeral Home. So uh, we were starting out. I was working, basically supporting us. We only had one funeral home. We supported his mom and dad, which were his partners. His dad was his partner and our family. So um, I made a good salary as a medical technologist and had health insurance. Um, he worked hard. He was involved with a lot of things. We, I would do things like clean, um, answer the phone, those type of things mm -hmm. on top of working my other job. And of course, then we had children and I was still working at the hospital and he was at the funeral home. Um, by then we had gone into partners with Van Dyke Sweeney. And so there was more <laughs> um, and I decided I needed to be home instead of working. And so I had my college education. It was silly for me not to serve an apprenticeship, which I could do easily under my father-in-law and um, thus get my license. Back then, that would have been, I've been licensed since 90. So back then you had to be a licensed funeral director to own a funeral home. Now that's not the case. You have to have a funeral director actually in charge of your funeral home an AIC, but corporations own funeral homes now. So an individual didn't, does not, to, that individual who owns the corporation who or is part of a corporation isn't necessarily a funeral director. So it's become more business-like. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I got my license thinking it was an insurance policy. If something would have happened to John, I would be licensed and would still be able to run our funeral homes without having somebody come in and tell me I had to sell or couldn't run my own funeral home. Mm. So I got my license. 
at that time, again, we had our four children and John was becoming active with the Ohio Funeral Directors Association, which is a trade service in the state of Ohio. And he was gone a little bit more than normal. And um, I just kind of started to help Mr. Comer so that take up the slack for when John wasn't here. And then pretty soon I'm working all the time. So that's kind of, I, I kind of got into it by default. Um, I always just try to help. I always want to be there. I'm kind of a jack of all trades, but a master of none. I'm not an embalmer. I can do anything but embalm. So I can make funeral arrangements. I can conduct a funeral. I can take a funeral into the cemetery. Um, I can write pre-need. Uh, I can still clean the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and um, again, so... Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, variety in this job. There is a, a lot of variety, and um, it is not just standing at the door. Um, it's um, a lot of paperwork. A too. lot of a, a lot of paperwork. Yeah. A lot of regulations to keep up on, and and um, paperwork. Mm -hmm. So, if somebody wanted to had never considered getting into this line. Um, they need to have a bachelor's degree or what? Now the requirements are, yes, you do need a bachelor's in the state of Ohio. Okay. Each state is different. Ohio is the one of the strongest educational requirements. Um, they re are, require a bachelor's. And from there, if you're going to be a funeral director only, you serve a two-year apprenticeship with a funeral home. You're You have to have a master funeral director kind of vouch for you and be under his direction. Um, and that was is for two years. I did it under my father-in-law, not my husband. Um, and then if you are a funeral director embalmer, you do a year of mortuary school and then one year of an apprenticeship. Following those requirements, either a funeral director or a funeral director embalmer then takes the NBE in Ohio, in Ohio which is the national board exam. And if you're a funeral director only, you have to pass the arts portion of that test along with the Ohio laws. If you're a funeral director embalmer, you have to pass the arts and the science and the portion for the Ohio laws. Wow, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a time element to becoming a funeral director embalmer or a funeral director. Today, we see probably three to one with more women becoming funeral directors than men. Back when my husband was in mortuary school, there were two girls. Um, the rest were all boys. Um, now that's the other way. It's three to one. Really? Mm -hmm. And there are also a lot of second career people going into mm -hmm. funeral service. So they might already be a pastor or a retired pastor. They might be a nurse and decide they want to get out of that. So they typically will already have their bachelor's degree. So it's a matter of serving the apprenticeship and then taking the board. Well, and, and in some cases, some people would prefer to go in and talk to a woman about something like this, not to say that men can't handle exactly. it, but exactly. it's a little bit more of a comfortable feeling. John believes that, and oftentimes that's why he'll say, I want you to see so-and-so, and, you know, and again, you want to see somebody that you know, and if you are meeting with somebody you don't know, um, again, I do a fair amount of prearrangements mm -hmm. because yeah. of that. Makes you more comfortable. So that's good. So is it a good career? Is it something that, you know. You know, I kind of have a bias. Would I go, I, I don't think I would have chosen it had I not married a funeral director. I liked being a med tech. If I had to do it all over, 
would I become a funeral director? I don't know. I've been spoiled in my situation in that um, it, it, it worked well with our family as 24 seven call and time commitment it is, there's still a lot of flexibility for me personally with our children and school and activities. Um, that's not always the case for a person who doesn't own the business. I think nowadays the people coming out of mortuary school are I don't want to say demanding, are asking for a better work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it can be a very good opportunity. In the larger funeral homes, you are not expected to work 24-7, eight days a week. You're given your weekends off, your time off. And even now that we've incorporated our three funeral homes and our crematory, um, we need to what we call tag team. It used to be if you started with a family, you were going to finish. Mm -hmm. Thus, you didn't get very many days off because inevitably the service was going to be when you were hoping you were going to be off. So, and again, I, I, that yeah. was the way I worked and that's the way I've, that's been my career. Is that the career path now for people coming out of school or that are not owners that are just going into it as a career choice? No, you'll have your schedule and you'll have your time off and your days off. And um, oftentimes you develop that relationship with that family when you sit with them for two, two and a half hours making arrangements, because sometimes that's what it takes. Oftentimes that's what it takes. Um, you develop that relationship. And I think you want to be there for them the next couple of days. That's that's the whole idea. Mm -hmm. And that's important to us at our at our funeral home. But we know um, some people have to be other places at different times and our staff works well together and knows how everybody does things and it works. Well, obviously you enjoy what you're doing because you've made me very comfortable just well, being you. here listening thank you. to you and you've taught me a few things that I didn't know. Good. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about some traditions that are out there. Um, obviously, there haven't always been funeral homes. So somebody, they would do it at their home. So if the person died, you would lay grandma out in the living room. Mm -hmm. And um, then you were telling me about the original coffins or caskets that the carpenters would, mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. build. And that kind of evolved into the, the word I looked up was undertaker. What is an undertaker? And it was uh, something to do with people who were making the arrangements. They were undertaking all of the responsibilities, but that evolved into mortuary and a mortician, and then eventually a funeral director. That was my research that I found. And the other thing is cookies. There are several areas in the United States that funeral homes have cookies. We have cookies at weddings. Why don't we have cookies at funerals? Well, that would be a good idea. I'm going to put you on our staff to be the baker. No. So to go back a little bit, funerals, embalming per se, came around the Civil War time. And I think it was done to preserve or sanitize a body from the battlefield enough to get the person back to their home for their family to have that 
as opposed to mass graves or oh, I thought they just buried them there. I didn't it, know that. Not all the time. Yeah. Yes. So um, again, embalming is not to preserve you forever. It's basically to sanitize and to slow the process down in order for people to have what we considered traditions. So when we started 40 years ago, for me, traditionally, when someone died, you met with a family, you spelled out the arrangements, family came in one night, calling hours were the next night, the funeral was the third day, and then the burial. So in order to have that be a somewhat pleasant experience, the body had to be treated chemically and sanitized, washed and dressed in order to have a presentation to be able to do that. Um, some people don't want to remember people that way. I find that oftentimes if people have been really, really sick and they die in a hospital or a facility, or even if it's an accident, they don't give our embalmers enough credit for their training and their expertise as to what they can really do. Um, again, I have a bias. This is what I do. I think it's important. Um, if that's not what people want to do, we certainly can't force them to do that. Uh, but there is something to be said for that. Um, so anyhow, so then we have our traditions. What's our traditions? Yes, it used to be in the home. So a funeral home would just be a storage area where they would keep their things. They would embalm the person at the house and lay them out on their couch or their bed. And people would come to the house and pay their respects. Typically, they would bury them then and then go to church to have their service. Okay, interesting. And, and things just evolved. I don't want to do three days. You know, can we do it one night of calling the funeral the next? Yeah. Sure. And, and now it's like, house. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> again, part of that is just um, space. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, there's just not enough space or too many steps. Um, so logistically, you know, it made it where yeah. funeral homes then became a place where you would have a larger room. You would have places for people to sit, you would have chairs, you would have heat, you would have air conditioning. Yeah. And again, it just made it a more conducive place to, to have a and, service. And you had to feed them too. Right. Uh, if they right. were at your house, you had to have food. So right. that, that is yeah. a big undertaking. Mm -hmm. Undertaking. <laughs> undertaking. Yes. How about yes. that? I worked that right in there. <laughs> so I, I think it just yeah. evolved to, you know, so now funeral homes are usually a larger establishment, um, handicap accessible on all levels, be it bathrooms, facilities, yeah. all the way around coming into the building. So that's been, it's been very interesting. I mean, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. So and as far as cookies. So the whole idea with <laughs> cookies, I do know a funeral home that always had cookies at their calling hours. And I think not only was it, um, a refreshment during calling hours, but it also was a smell. Obviously, we have senses. Um, so not all our senses. Coming to a funeral, you're already emotionally worked up. So trying to calm your senses, cookies baking is a familiar, yes. pleasant smell. 
and and that might be your memory uh going to yeah. the funeral home and smelling cookies uh, we typically don't make cookies at our funeral homes uh, one more job for ellen um, typically i don't cook i've lived in a funeral home for a lot of years now and our rule was always no roast beef in the crock pot on funeral days and no sauerkraut and pork um so i had to be careful what i cooked so people weren't coming yeah. in and saying are we having dinner? Yeah. <laughs> Which might not be a bad idea, but uh, okay. yeah. So. Well, the, uh, the cookies thing came from a books, uh, the Janet Ivanovich books. They mm -hmm. always were going to the funeral home and having cookies mm -hmm. and they judged mm -hmm. the success of the funeral home by how good, how big the cookie table was. Again, like and you like, said, we had them at weddings. Why weddings, can't we so, have them at funerals? Yeah. Well, so. thank you so much. Um, this has just been full of information. Mm -hmm. And I got to go back to my line. Only diamonds are forever. So we're not. And it's time that everybody seriously think about making those decisions. You'll be glad that you did. Again, if it's only to glean the information and have an idea of what you can expect. Again, there's no obligation. Um, so thank you. And phone number. Phone number. You can reach us at Van Dyke Sweeney Reddick Funeral Home by calling 330 426 22 one one. We also have a website www.familycareservices.com all together, all lowercase. So our corporate name is Family Care Services, um, but we still answer our funeral home as Van Dyke Sweeney Reddick Funeral Home. That's better than trying to type in Van Dyke Sweeney Reddick Funeral Home dot com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Well. Thank you so much for coming. This has been and very informative and I had several. Gee, I didn't know that. Thank you again for going me. for. Thank you, Ellen, for stopping today to explain why it is so important to make some decisions about your funeral. No one really looks forward to that, but you make it a very comfortable subject to talk about. If you have any questions or would just like to talk to Ellen about planning your funeral, her phone number is 330-426-2211. You can also check out their website at www.familycareservices.com. I know that I had several, gee, I didn't know that moments today, as I am sure you did. Please follow Claybrook Chats with Barb, and there will be a new subject next Tuesday for you to listen and learn. Well, this is podcast number 12, and my original goal that I said at the beginning was to do 10. But thanks to your support and encouragement and listening, I am moving forward and I set my next goal for a total of 45 podcasts this year. That will take us to the middle of December. And that will give us a bunch of information on 45 different things that we didn't know about. So I'm really excited and I believe that, that we can meet that goal. So please help me find interesting people to talk to. I'm open to listen to just about anybody that wants to talk about anything except maybe religion and politics. Uh, we can all learn a little bit about something and leave saying, gee, I didn't know that. So thank you again to Ellen Reddig from Van Dyke Sweeney 
Reddick Funeral Homes. And to the rest of you, I wish happy trails.